This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, how are you doing with all of this anyway? Are you drinking more? And you could replace drinking with smoking pot or cigarettes maybe, or maybe it's eating popcorn. I do that. But are you drinking more through the course of COVID? Let's talk some story. Plus, how about Omicron affecting gas prices? Dan McTagg with Canadians for Affordable Energy tells us what happens next. It takes a look at the fiscal update from the government that happened earlier in the week this week. Plus, are you okay with balancing and so much more on the Shift Daily Podcast? This is the Shift Podcast. Have you found that you've been drinking more and you can replace drinking with whatever uh, it is for you? I know one of my go-tos that I will openly admit is uh, really buttery, mega salty popcorn. That's one of the things that sort of eases my mind. Uh, The last few weeks, actually, I've been able to step away from the drinks. I found that I would just have one out of the blue, right? And it turns out that it's being hard on all of us. So with all the impacts of the pandemic, BC has been drinking more than ever. That's the finding for a new study by UVic, who found alcohol consumption during the first year of the pandemic was up, way up. Kylie Stanton has these details. Filling the cart one bottle at a time eventually adds up, but not only at the cash register. So it comes to 24-24. New research out of the University of Victoria's Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research shows alcohol consumption in BC during the first year of the pandemic is higher than ever. I would say this is a bit of a spike on top of a larger trend towards increasing alcohol sales in the province, probably about 3 to 4% overall. According to the data, between April 1st of 2020 and March 31st of 2021, 9.32 litres of pure alcohol per adult in B.C., was consumed. That amounts to 547 cans of beer or 104 bottles of wine. I'm not surprised. Something that's not really a shock to those here. Well, people are at home so so much more and they got nothing else to do. I think it's picked up everybody's alcohol consumption. But it's also the fact booze has never been easier to come by. With BC alcohol policies loosening during the pandemic, liquor stores have been deemed essential. Consumption is allowed in some municipal parks. Also, home delivery is now available. And while bars and restaurants reported huge decreases in consumption, liquor stores have more than made up for it. Over the first eight months of the year, we had an increase in our sales by about 10%. And then when the holiday season hit, our sales went up by about 30% comparatively to previous years. But Namie says that's cause for concern. Alcohol consumption already taxes the healthcare system, and if the policies remain in place long term, it will only add to the problem. So the real issue is that the lasting legacy of COVID may be this undoing of, of um, decades worth of research and action to, to have reasonable safeguards in place. Kelly Stanton, Global News. Now, not to be lost in all of those statistics and all of those things is there's a reason why. There's a reason why people are turning to drinks, uh, turning to uh, something to escape, something to numb. The the cor- the correlation of the increase in opioids usage and opioids death can't escape us either in all of this. 
So what um, what are you doing? Steve says, I've certainly purchased more. Steve says he started a small collection of Bordeaux wine. They need to age for several years. He wished he had started earlier, but he'll purchase a select few each year on the release and save them. So new hobbies. So there you go. New shopping. Ryan, that one should resonate with you because you do like the shopping. Are you like, okay, your shoe shopping habits, uh, you've been able to make money at it. You've been able to all kinds of things, but are you buying more? Yes. Yeah, that's my vice. Yeah, 100% alcohol, even marijuana consumption has been down quite a bit for me. It's kind of like a really maybe once a week, every two weeks kind of thing now, uh, especially drinking. I do not drink as much as I used to. Um, but shopping has definitely been my vice. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's my weakness. I just get excited about new things and selling old things and trying to, I even bought a Lego set that I always wanted as a kid last week. I mean, I love it. It's fantastic. It's it's great. Star Wars. But I got it home and I look at it. It looks so good on my desk. And I'm like, did I really need that right now? I mean, I could have gotten it later. And it, that's just my thing. There's just this impulse that uh, I'm having trouble shaking right now. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. you said the word, though. You said it. it it's excited. Mm-hmm. You feel excited. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, it's right. Well, it's especially if the day gets pretty mundane. Right. You kind of need mm-hmm. something during the day to kick it up a notch and obviously i'm not gonna consume alcohol or marijuana can you guys imagine me doing this show high there wouldn't even you you wouldn't even be able to use the typo button it would break it wouldn't work so i I can't can't be the only one (laughs) who hears that and goes i want to hear it i want to know what this is like like i wanted to i can't be the only one no right no come on brady you were thinking the same thing no hi ryan Yeah, a little bit. It could be a whole yeah. segment. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I want to hear Hi, Ryan on the radio. But we all are going through this, and that's a reminder is that we're not alone. Judy is in White Rock. Let's get say hi to the Judes. Hey, Judy. Hi, how are you guys? Good, thank you. Uh, what are you doing that seems to be a little bit more than pre-pandemic times? Well, it's definitely more. It's more yeah. of... Uh, more food, it's more sitting around, it's more drinking, and it's related to whatever excuse I can find at a certain time. I mean, I'm not a heavy drinker here, uh, but yeah. then I wonder how many listening are, could say the same thing. But definitely um, drinking more since COVID came in and you're locked into the house. I right. work out of the house now, so it's closer at the end of the day when you're just fed up and done with things and sick of staring at a computer, yeah. or you're staring at the uh television telling you all the latest good news. I do know that when we thought we had COVID kind of subsiding here, I got excited about it, stopped thinking, all of a glass of wine today. I was really thinking we're going to get things moving. And then here comes the news tonight. So guess what I had tonight? Two glasses of wine. Exactly. Isn't that the case? So you said that you look for every excuse to find. For me, the excuses work as... Ah, finally, it's the weekend. That's a big one. That's probably my biggest change has been the, uh, my, my, I used to work with a guy and he used to never drink all week. His name was Tim and Tim passed away a few years ago. And, and Tim taught me, he was my roommate and he used to never, he did morning radio and he used to never drink during the weeks, but on the weekends he was obliterated. And, um, and that's, I I don't get obliterated. I, I sort of sound like kind of what you do, Judy, but 
the reality is, is once the weekend comes, that's one of my first excuses, right? It's the end of the yeah. day. It's my Friday. It's my Saturday. Uh, you know, ah, the couch, right? And got to have a drink with me. So what are some of the excuses that you tell yourself just so we can connect that? Because everyone's got their excuses. Well, first of all, it, which we never, ever, ever did, we now have an annual martini every Friday night. My husband has become an expert at making them. Nice. We, nev- we never did that. And they are abs- now I really look forward to it, no matter what mm. the news is. Um, I'm a developer, so it's been hard this year in regards to increasing of costs, finding of labor, things coming in on time, uh, mm-hmm. deliveries of things. Um, so that's one excuse. And there's another excuse about if there's a friend who I haven't seen for a long time and I feel I should be able to get to them, but I can't, such as we just had one of our main people move to Kelowna. And, of course, all the disasters struck and she's up there on her own and I'd like to get there, but I can't. So instead of truly trying to help her in some other way, I'll sit down and have a glass of wine. Or I will just be bored out of my mind. There's nothing on TV. I've seen every show there is. Yeah. You can't go, for, you know. You can't go to the gym. I used to really fit out. Fit out. I, I gained fifteen pounds since this thing started. I'm not joking. Yeah, I have too. I call it my COVID nineteen pounds. No joke. Like it's it, it's legit. It's terrible. It is terrible. So, but one thing I am doing is um, with my kids. I am now starting to say to my two kids who are out of the house, they're adult. I think we should be getting together and declare it an alcohol-free event. Mm. And it is because they both have children. And I am looking and thinking, these kids are now at six and seven and eight years of age. And I assume these are pretty smart kids that they're looking at us and thinking, I remember you guys drinking all the time. Right. That so might be I'm just actually, the, the, what they remember, yeah. Yeah. yeah so so I'll, I'll add to that, Judy, just so you know, the, um, the one of the things that Melanie did was, you know, I would go to my parents' place and we were outside in the summertime because we didn't want to be inside. And, and, you know, we'd have cocktails in the patio, like happy hour style, right? And my yeah. folks are retired and stuff like that. And, and then Melanie brought a, a game. And I think it was part of my birthday gift, actually. Um, might have been Father's Day. And it's basically just a Frisbee game with like a box. I forget the name of it. And you basically have to throw the Frisbee into the hole and get points. And, and we did that. And so, and my dad, whose joints are bad, he doesn't move around much. Uh, my mom did it. We did it. And we probably played it for only 45 minutes, maybe an hour and 15 minutes. And when we played the game, we had a wicked time and nobody was having drinks. Everybody's drink was down and nobody was going to get the drink. Right. And then even after we finished the game, everybody needed a glass of water because we're a little out of shape. Uh, but it was just a good reminder that, to your point about having alcohol-free parties, plan an activity. Yeah, that had a big impact for me. Yeah, and it, it's true that if if I go all the way back to before when COVID started two years ago, um, there was just so much more going on in my life that got me up and moving and away, and I never thought about sitting down to have that. By the time I got home at night, it was dinner time. There was other things to do. I didn't think I got to have a glass of wine with this. Or on my computer and at work, I would shut it off, come home. Now I'm at home. So there's just, and these are actually excuses. If we really want to get serious and say, that's enough. Stop with the wine. Stop with martinis. <clears throat> but frankly, then here comes the news today, and I'm thinking, Oh, man, I've got friends coming from Wales in March, their 25th wedding anniversary. We booked to go to Kauai, Hawaii. I have no idea. We've booked a very expensive house on the beach, 
And I have no idea whether we should go with this, not go with this. Are they going to get into the country? Britain is alive with this bacteria or, or virus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So at least yeah, I, feel, thinking, I hear it. I, I want to acknowledge, Judy, that I, I hear in your share, you know, the authenticity that's coming with everything. Right. The confusion. It's for me, it's like a whirlpool. Like it just spins and spins and spins. And that's what it feels like for me, too. And it's why this uh, conversation is important. Before you go away, Judy, um, Glenn just texted and he says, I personally am not a very big fan of drinking, but uh, maybe a few drinks through the course of a year. But I did find my cannabis intake has increased a lot. I mean, I've been on calls, Zoom calls and meetings and quietly kept my glass of cider on the side. Right. Like I've done it. I'll admit it. And I know people that have been on interviews with me that after the interview's done, they kind of forget it. They'll go take a drink of their beer. And I'm like, you've had a, you've been drinking beer through our whole interview. Like there are people that are doing these things. So with this, that let's create something, Judy, because you talked about, you know, trying to create business and, and the things that you go through. What's one thing, uh, I'll do it. You can do it. What's one thing that you're willing to commit to in this? that will change any of the behavior for me i'll start so what i'm going to commit to uh in the spirit of creating something positive out of all this conversation is that you know one thing that actually gets me is a glass of water if ever i want to sit down and have a drink if i commit to having a glass of water first i often don't drink the drink this is very simple yeah, that is, that is one thing I will tell you. I now, if I have a glass of wine in the evening and I don't have it every evening, and and purposely because I'm getting angry at myself and thinking you're heading to being an alcoholic if you keep doing this, which I I don't believe I am, but that's how I feel. I now drink huge consumptions of water in the evening. If I have a glass, regardless, I'm drinking four, five, six things of water because I realize that some of the reason is. I'm thirsty. That's why I'm drinking this Pinot Grigio. So that definitely I will. What I what I am going to do, I've made the commitment that for the month of January, because my daughter's big on this, she and I are going to take a month of no alcohol. Good for you. And she will hold me to it. She's kind of mean. <laughs> it's good to have a mean friend, though, isn't it? It is, especially a daughter, because daughters are really mean. Yeah, they are. They are mean. Judy, thank you so much for the uh, open, honest heart. I appreciate it. Okay. I love your show, and Merry Christmas to everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Merry Christmas. This is The Shift Podcast. Fiscal updates on Tuesday, Trans Mountain getting reopened. There's been a lot changing in the world of government and energy, so let's go to Dan McTagg who, uh, Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP, uh, joins us here on the program. Hey, Dan. Hey, good to be here. The uh, Let's talk about the West Coast first, um, because Trans Mountain has uh, been partially reopened, I believe, as of Tuesday. Yeah. So what is the, uh, what's the prognosis in the land of energy? Uh, Shane, it's great news, obviously, uh, that the pipeline didn't collapse, uh, like so many other pieces of infrastructure. And it actually mirrors what happened to the Fortis natural gas pipeline, which is uh, that too, uh, re, you know, was, re, was thankfully, mercifully uh, unscathed from uh, the effects of the flooding. Uh, and, and, you know, the crews that worked the Trans Mountain Pipeline, the actions taken by uh, the carrier, uh, in this case, uh, you know, to shut the, uh, the pipeline down as a precaution and go over it with a fine-tooth comb and slowly but surely repressurize it so that sometime in the middle of January, maybe even February, it'll be back to 100%. The fact it's flowing again, I think, gives uh, 
significant confidence to the notion that uh, pipelines are something that carriers take very seriously. And um, their, uh, their importance is not something that we can take for granted. Um, it, it really does uh, go hand in hand with the government's announcement that the rationing <coughs> that we saw over the past uh, three weeks, four weeks, something I said would last a lot longer than it did, uh, has now come to an end. And, uh, you know, uh, BC motorists, uh, uh, especially those in Vancouver, the lower mainland, are going to be waking up tomorrow to a five centiliter decrease of the pumps. So, I mean, you know, talk about uh, a reversal of fortunes and uh, pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Looks like uh, they dodged a bullet there. And I, I, I can't say this is uh, just a question of uh, being random. Uh, it took government, and I give credit where credit is due, government and industry and labor to come together uh, in an emergency, in a crisis, and pulled it, pulled the pulled the situation off in a in a spectacular way. Uh, one which I think uh, gives uh, confidence that we need to uh, you know to to use these best practices in the future when we do face similar disasters. So all in all, Trans Mountain's back up and running. Uh, we should get the other one up and built very soon. The world needs pipelines, more of them, not less. And I think that's a, a good carryaway, I think, for many people in the lower mainland who up until this crisis may have taken that pipeline and others for granted. At the risk of sounding righteous, I will say that, you know, the trains were not able to run. Um, the pipelines were shut down for safety and um, there was no damage to the pipelines, which is good news in the end. Okay, so we did talk about price of gas two weeks ago, Dan. Um, we talked about the price of gas and how it wasn't changing in certain areas of the country. And I've noticed that it really hasn't changed much since then either. Are we still seeing inconsistencies in the price of gas and price of all these um, sort of retail uh, questions at the pump? We are. And I was very concerned when on November 26, we saw a 13% decrease in the price of oil. Uh, we saw an equivalent 30 cent a gallon decrease, which translated into a 10 or 11 cent wholesale price decrease for gas stations. Eastern Canada, they saw the, the break. Within 48 hours, every gas station had dropped, with the exception of one or two. But those are obviously stations that were either asleep or didn't care to have any business. Western Canada, different matter. Um, they held on. They they didn't uh, pass on uh, the wholesale price drop. And it's uh, I, originally, I had some gas stations upset that I said, you know, we should be seeing these prices dropping. I said, you don't know the breakdown. I've only been doing the breakdown since 1995. So I know exactly, in fact, a lot of gas stations rely on my predictions long before their supplier uh, sends them the uh, the cost for them to pick up the next load. Many of them uh, will look at my site, gaswizard.ca, uh, and know in advance that there's going to be a price increase or decrease. So I found it a little strange, um, especially in Alberta, especially in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, uh, to see those prices remain at $1.43.9, $1.41.9. Uh, $39.9 best case scenario, when in fact they should have been at least eight to nine cents cheaper. And so, uh, although we are now seeing those prices reflected in the pumps, um, my bigger concern is that if we hit a, cir- a circumstance, and we inevitably will change, mm-hmm. where we are going to see gas prices go back up because oil is going to go back up to $100 a barrel, like it or not. All Omicron has done is kick the can down the road. We have a fundamental shortage of supply, regardless of what the international energy says. When that happens, will those gas stations uh, hold off two weeks before they raise prices? I don't think so. And so it makes my job a little bit more difficult to try to say, you know, don't blame the independent, uh, the gas bar, the gas retailer. The gas retailer did very well for a week and a half, especially in Western Canada. And uh, 
that's something that I think they have to take into account. Well, let's. Uh, I've brought up your uh, your old um, stomping grounds there of gas, buddy. In Edmonton, Costco's course always the cheapest, with at like a buck twelve. And then when you get yeah. into, and that's in and around Edmonton. But when you get in and around Calgary for retail, you're at a buck thirty six, yeah. and that's just down the road. Yeah, and and that yeah, that tells me that uh, you know I, ha- I don't have the stuff here in front of me, but if uh, you know the wholesale price for gasoline in Calgary. <clears throat> excuse me, is 78 cents a liter. I add my, fe- I add, I add my federal provincial sales tax, uh, 13 plus 10 for the excise tax. That brings me up to dollar one. And I add 8 cents, 7 cents, 8.84 for the GST, sorry, for the uh, uh, carbon tax. Uh, now I'm up to a dollar nine, dollar 10, and the GST, another six, come up to a buck 16, buck 17. It's two cents cheaper, three cents cheaper, roughly two and a half cents in Edmonton. So it should be a buck 13, buck 14. That's the cost of buying the fuel. Um, for gas stations charging $1.39, they're picking up net 30 cents a liter. And uh, sorry, uh, 112, 116, less 39. They're picking up net 22, 23 cents a liter. That's a significant uh, and, uh, and I think uh, unacceptable level of distortion in the market and uh, if gas stations can get away with it great uh but they're only inviting more costcos to come into the business and uh, and knock them out and that's what's happening in a number of cities across canada it's happening in sudbury this summer it happened in Col- in uh, Kelowna this weekend uh where they used to get big fat 10 15 cent retail 20 cent retail margins especially in Kelowna. they're now down to seven and eight because costco came in and said we can match you and i'm not saying costco is a perfect example the thing I don't like about Costco, obviously, I have to buy a membership at sixty to one hundred and twenty dollars. Uh, they don't honor my Visa credit card, uh, and I have to wait in line. Um, so, I mean, that's you know, that's a negative on that. But uh, for people, when they look at the price, the price is absolute. Nothing else matters. And uh, for gas stations that are taking advantage of uh, rider drivers, you don't hear a lot about it. Um, you know, there will be a day where they uh, they regret what they're doing, and uh, they have to behave as well. People don't have a bottomless pit when it comes to money and pulling uh, 15 cents out of someone's pocket on every liter of gasoline, in my view, is uh, pushing the envelope. Dan McTagg, um, fuck, he is for affordable energy. If you want to follow along for that one, can I put on your uh, MP hat, former MP hat for a minute? Would that be all right? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, the uh, the On Tuesday, the fiscal update came out and uh, there's this uh, significant uncertainty of Speed of Canada's economic recovery, tough to predict, says the government. Um, you know, at this point, of course, with Omicron on the horizon, that's a thing. But it seems to be very convenient, considering that Omicron's really only been aware for two weeks. So, um, you know, there's in this case, there's always going to be some sort of hiccup. But there's this headline. And this headline bothers me. Uh, Canada's deficit lower than expected, but Omicron BC floods eat into the windfall. And it's getting called a windfall from the government. And it's getting repeated by the media. And um, but it's not a windfall when you're losing money. So the original deficit was 154.7 billion. So let's just call it like it is. That's not 154.7 billion. It's minus 157.4 billion. Instead, it's 144.5 billion. So it is not a windfall because there's no actual windfall. We're just losing less. We need to keep that in mind. Uh, two two things there. Number one. What is causing uh, this this bump of income, which is great. Number two, uh, the first uh, answer, if you could, would be 
how do we celebrate only losing 144 billion <laughs> as a country? If you told me that that was the case five, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I'd have heart failure. It's happened now because we've accepted that. And uh, we said that we, you know, no, no, no expense will be spared, including fraudulent CERB, including a number of very questionable uh, programs and projects and uh, good, uh, you know, good deals that were given to liberal friendly organizations. I won't mention any right now, but I know some of them intimately and I know some of the players intimately and I know exactly uh, why the public should be concerned about this, but celebrating 144 billion when you're saying, "Hey, it could have been 154 billion," and ironically, coming from a government that dislikes the oil and gas sector, that really was the reason why we got an extra 10 billion bucks. In my view, is uh, uh, is certainly uh, beyond contempt uh, and contempt of the facts, uh, and it comes on the heels of 350 billion dollars, which you threw out the window last year. Uh, you know. You've, you've spent two-thirds, almost two-thirds of a trillion dollars. And I'm not even including the provincial or municipal governments that have had to do something very similar. The totality of debt accumulated by this country is not made up by the growth in, uh, in employment, is not made up by the growth uh, that we're seeing in so-called recovery. In fact, we're seeing some of the ill effects. Uh, we're seeing inflation. And it's not just transitory. It looks like it's structural. And it looks like we're heading towards, despite, you know, the uh, the apple polishing by some in the media. And I'm seeing a lot of it. You gave an example of it. I am extraordinarily concerned that, uh, you know, uh, what no one has taken into consideration is when do the bondholders, the debt review czars, look at this and say, this country can't meet its obligations. And worse, because they are, for lack of a better term, crapping on the oil and gas sector, our number one sector. And you can't get manufacturing back up on its feet the way it was. I'm here in Ontario. I know how bad it is. It's not better. It's worse. When you combine those two things together, how do we pay this off? How do we get the country back up and running? Because you still have part of the country running on, you know, on, on supports, supports from government. And so at some point in this, uh, in this long, drawn-out pandemic, we are going to be hit with a reality, an economic reality, a force of which we have probably not felt at least since the Great Depression, but more than likely a lot closer to what we saw in 1981. Interest rate hikes are around the corner, and they are inevitable. Uh, the federal government can no longer go in and work with the Bank of Canada buying you know, uh, mortgage-backed securities so that people can have mortgages in 1% interest. Those things are gone. So, I, I, you know, it's, it, it is, we are still uh, enjoying and partying on borrowed time and uh, with borrowed money. And I think for that reason... Uh, Canadians should be absolutely concerned about what's lying just down the road for them. Fiscal updates. I mean, when you were yeah. working around here, I mean, it was pretty cut and dry how much debt we had and how much we were spending, wasn't it? I mean, my recollection here, and I can be corrected if I'm wrong, is that the, this government for years really hasn't really had a budget and hasn't really put out any numbers. Well, the numbers are not correct. And, and you know, look, even if we had numbers, when you had the Auditor General's office hiring people to look at certain aspects, not necessarily the budget itself, but uh, looking into you know uh, what is otherwise sensitive information, people who are well connected with the Liberal Party and, of course, with the climate agenda, now getting access to things, and the Auditor General says nothing to see here. When the integrity of the process by which we monitor uh, and ensure you know fiscal accountability is suddenly subject to you know allowing friends of friends uh, who. Uh, 
you know, uh, don't necessarily operate by the old concept of Chinese walls, the so-called separation between people with a conflict of interest. We have a pretty serious problem on our hands. And this is, again, what I'm saying. It's only a matter of time before one of the non-woke bond rate rating agencies picks up on this and says, uh, this country uh, is not able to produce. If we go in this issue with Omicron gets worse uh, and we see that, uh, you know, oil sales to the United States or the value of our oil drops along with natural gas, uh, you know, we may not be able to shield or fend off the idea that uh, the country is uh, is teetering on insolvency. And I, I, you know, this sounds crazy to say that for some who've been listening to the news yesterday, uh, you know, but by all accounts, I think uh, some people here have been spending a little bit more time breathing lithium uh, and are, you know, obviously on happy pills because frankly, what I'm seeing here is completely out of whack with reality. And that's unfortunate. Uh, some of us who are a little older on the, you know, the political side look at these things and say there was a time and a place where uh, this kind of unseriousness uh, would have been laughed out and put aside. But it looks like we have this amateur hour, not just in terms of people running the finances of this country, but obviously those who are reporting on it. It's concerning. There's more to come. Um, wow. We could do this for hours, eh? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's serious issues, though, and it doesn't get discussed, unfortunately. So thank you for, you know, taking the time to raise these matters because it concerns folks like myself. And I, you know, I don't come at this easily. <laughs> I don't have an axe to grind. Mm-hmm. I'm more concerned about the future of my country. And uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think the people that are there have the, the confidence or the competence uh, to do what they're doing. And it's, uh, we, we have a big hole to get ourselves out of, and I'm not sure how we're going to do it, especially if we say, the means by which we climb out of this problem uh, ha- are going to be, you know, foreclosed. We're going to shut down the automotive sector. We're going to transform it. We're going to force quotas on it. We're going to shut down the autom- the the energy sector in this country. We're going to raise the cost of living on everybody. I just don't understand how this is going to happen. It might be a, a someone else's plan and part of the WD a WEF agenda, but it certainly isn't and has as its interest the fundamental. Uh, importance of ensuring you know the solvency of the country dan mctagg canadians for affordable energy former liberal mp in ontario uh, it's good to see you i i'm hoping we get to see you one more time before christmas sound like a deal it does and i look forward to that i'll All see right. you next week we'll see you next week buddy thanks shane this is the shift podcast it's time for are you okay Brennan Kelly is here. Ryan O'Donnell is here. I'm Shane Hewitt. Are You Okay is a segment where we just ask you questions about really strange stories and you can share your thoughts on the text message or the calls. Let's start with this completely out of context clip. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus and as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black Now, I was at my son's hockey game on Saturday this past weekend. And if you've ever heard an entire arena erupt in laughter during a hockey game, amateur hockey, all you have to do is when someone from the home team gets a penalty, play the Grinch song. Yeah, It was fantastic. It was amazing timing. I don't know who was playing the music. They did a great job. And um, 
I mean, there's something magical about the Grinch. Safe to say Jim Carrey is the best of all the Grinches of all time. Yeah, I mean, he's the the how, the movie how the grinch stole christmas that he's in is not a good movie but it is amazingly fun to watch because of how much heart and passion he puts into that performance it's like it's just amazing and side note i have this weird memory like vivid memory of la- like grade 12 english and it was the day before christmas the break and my teacher just literally said uh, today class, uh, screw it. We're just going to watch the Grinch, <laughs> put the Grinch on. <laughs> we all just watched it. And that was how we went into Christmas break. So yeah, yeah, I like this. I like the Grinch story. I think it's a good one. Um, okay. Well, if you want to have someone play the Grinch, Jim Carrey is the person to ask. Yes. You know, their parents says, you know who that is? That's the Grinch. And I go, I must find a way to stop Christmas from coming. <laughs> it's the best. He's still got it. <laughs> That's amazing. He absolutely have it. A woman in Ireland um, apparently didn't have Jim Carrey's phone number or booking agent on speed dial. So she hired an, act- an actor to come play the Grinch at a party for 85 pounds. Laura McGill. Oh, do you want to do your Irish accent? Oh, Laura McGill. Oh, Laura McGill was hiring an actor in Belfast. Invited the Grinch to come to uh, cause a bit of mischief around her home. And instead, he absolutely destroyed her house. Oh, no. According to a post she made on Facebook, which was captured in a tweet by... Big, long tweet that I don't know how to... That sounds dirty. She was told the green grouch would come to her home, mess up a couple of beds, have a pillow fight, and adorn the Christmas tree with toilet paper before posing for a few pictures with the kids. Well, she got absolutely not that. Every single bit of party food, expensive cupcakes, thrown all over the house, tree decorations broken, She said the actor poured a bottle of liquid dish soap all over the floor and smashed her eggs, then poured a bottle of juice all over one of her sons. Kids knew onesie ruined, she wrote. As of this writing, McGill has not confirmed what company she hired for the Grinch, and no business has come forward to claim responsibility for the Grinch and this holiday cheer. Uh, McGill is rightfully upset about the destruction caused by the Grinch. The photos are mind blowing. Ryan, we got to post those the links of those photos to the uh, oh, yeah, Facebook we'll, group. We'll post a link to the story. It is uh, like it, it's it's chaos, and I mean yeah. like this is like if Daniel Day Lewis was asked to play the Grinch, like method acting to a questionable degree. Like it's just uh, wonderful <laughs> in all the wrong ways. <laughs> In all the wrong ways. So she's very upset. Online observers were getting quite a kick out of the spectacle. (laughs) Spectacle. This also reminds us of the time of a strange twist of irony of a story. In Bath, Ontario, a woman had her Grinch stolen. Prudence Amara is heartbroken, and no gesture could provide solace to ease her sadness. Her six-foot-tall Grinch stolen from her front yard in the early hours of Christmas morning. We were up. Christmas Eve until 12 o'clock, and in the morning he was gone. And he had to have gone before the snow because there was no footprints. 
The life-size Grinch has been a part of the neighborhood and the family's Christmas for 15 years. A doll maker, Omara, made her Grinch from a furry green comforter she found at the local store. I got the comforter home, and there was so much of it, it was a queen-size comforter, that I said, i got to make a life-size Grinch. So I took um, pool noodles and made the body. Over the years, Mr. Grinch has been displayed all over the property, on a rock in the front yard, hanging from a post on the porch, and one year laying across a bench. He was sitting right where my sign is that says he's stolen. But over the last five years, Omara has propped up her prized possession at the roadside, in her village of Bach neighborhood, many residents stopping to take pictures with their children. And my husband, every year, we used to put him in, up in the rafters. And every year, my husband would complain that, that it was heavier than him. And he says, geez, I, you know. But every year, the neighborhood would see us as we're walking with this jimongous <laughs> Grinch out to the road. Going back, in the irony is inescapable in that one. Going back to The mm-hmm. Grinch, the movie The Grinch, which I, I disagree. I don't think the script is quite terrible. I think it's very good. I, I really thoroughly enjoy that show. I find it long. That's probably the only thing that I that I struggle with on that one. Um, Cindy Lou Who, for the sake of saluting the music end of this for DJ BK, mm-hmm. Cindy Lou Who is Taylor Mumsen. And uh, if you look who uh, Taylor Mumsen is now, Cindy Lou Who does not look like Cindy Lou Who. can tell you that much. Um, but her band, The Pretty Reckless, did release a new album in 2021. Kind of a it's not really goth looking rock, but it is kind of dark. And it's not very Whoville. It would be great if she rocked out a little Whoville. Um She did some modeling and she also posed for Playboy. Cindy Lou Who. Uh, oh, I well I did not need to know that. Um but th- thank you. Uh, I do kind of like the idea that she became like a punk rocker. She's twenty eight. She's oh my, she's twenty eight. Oh my god! Uh-huh. So that movie came out in two thousand. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So very cool. One of the great movies. Yeah. I love it. I love the Who's. I think the Who's great. And Cindy Lou Who was fantastic. What a great character. Um, you know, I talk about a one and done. She just kind of nailed it and went on to music. Talented. I mean, it's a reason. Her and Jim Carrey are the reason why the movie's amazing. And the mayor yes. guy, you know him. What's his name? The mayor guy. Oh, is that you Jeffrey Tomblay? That's who it is. Yeah. It was also amazing. So, yes. all right. Are you okay? Are you okay with balance? I don't Not have a vegetables. great sense of balance. I can like. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not very I, good at it. Yeah. Yeah. My personal balance, like standing up while I'm doing certain exercises, has improved. But I'm also oh. okay with balance in life, you know? <laughs> Just balance. <laughs> we have a Thank bongo for... board in our living room. Do you know what a bongo board is? I have absolutely no idea what a bongo board is. It's like a skateboard deck, but it has okay. one one cylindrical tube of a wheel. And so you have to balance on the skateboard deck on the one wheel, like not wheel, but it's like a tube. It's like a, it's, it's a, like a roller in the middle of it and you have oh, to balance on it. 
Yes, I know what that. Yes, I do know of of that. Yeah, my son fell off it last night, and it went flying and almost through the wall. Dangerous. <laughs> nice. <laughs> He's six foot five and two hundred pounds. It was a big thud. Uh, can you balance books on your head? Can you walk on a tightrope? I imagine Brendan Kelly somehow worked as a tightrope walker at some point in his yeah, life. Yeah, right no. across Niagara Falls. No, no. Sweet. No, I didn't. This guy can balance almost anything on his head. Meet British strongman John Evans. He's 75, and he just balanced an entire chimney on his head while dressed as Santa. Uh, I've got one eye, this is plastic, uh, I'm a diabetic, I've got asthma, I've got angina, and after all said and done, I've got 98 world records, and uh, here's, here's one of them, for example, and this is me balancing uh, 95 milk crates on my head for well over 10 seconds uh, in, in a place called Ireland. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Evans, who lives in the central English country of Derbyshire, discovered his talent as a teenager working on building sites. I used to carry bricks on my head on a board, taking 24 bricks on my head up ladders. What? How do you... That's amazing. Evans has since traveled the world balancing water kegs, pints of beer, cement mixers, a fridge, a quad bike, famously stripped out mini on his head. I've done it in in, uh, in Hollywood. I've done it in China. I've done it in, in Paris. I've done it all over the place. In fact, here is a, a Guinness World Record of a TV show I've done in Paris, and it was at that time 357 pounds, and I managed to balance it on on the sh- studio in Paris for 20 seconds on my head. If that had gone wrong, it would have killed me. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you balanced a car on his head a car the cool part to me is that he's just as excited as everybody is he's like That's can a- you believe i did this <laughs> <laughs> i'm 75 i have every known disease on earth and I'm killing it. I think that's I, I think it's great. Like good for him. Surprised. I think he has every right to gloat about it. Surprised he didn't list neck pain off as one of his ailments. Yeah. Right. Yeah, neck pain. Sore knees, maybe. Sore knees. Mr. Evans, whose accomplishments have been recognized by Guinness Book of World Records and Record Holders Republic, has raised more than two hundred fifty thousand pounds, more than three hundred thirty thousand dollars for charity with his lifting. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 